This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book at the Wednesday dinner hour service under the covering title of the finished work. Well, we have been looking at the Old Testament witness for some time, the foreshadowing of the coming of Christ, and we focused our attention upon seven typical sons, the first being Abel and the last being Solomon. Well, we now feel it is time that we step over from the Old Testament foreshadowing to the New Testament fulfilment. But we can't do that quite straight away, because the scripture has provided an intermediary, uh, a preparer, uh, someone who, I'm going to use the word, was a forerunner. And it would be very wrong for us to say, well, we're not interested in the forerunner, we're interested in the one that was coming. We must keep to the teaching of scripture and its general uh, uh, disposition of subject matter. John the Baptist is the one, of course, that is in mind, and you'd be surprised how much there is about John the Baptist in the New Testament when you gather it all together. Now, with regard to the <coughs> question of a forerunner, Christ <coughs> was heralded, you remember, first of all as king. At his birth, he was the rightful heir to the throne of his father David. And he was heralded as king, and the testimony was not the gospel of the grace of God or the founding of a church, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And John the Baptist was sent before to prepare the way of the Lord. I've just got my Bible open at 1 Kings. Don't turn to it because of our time. It, it's only just a little hint. 1 Kings, chapter 18. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab in the, to the entrance of Jezreel. There's a prophet, girds up his loins and runs in front of the chariot of a king. And you may remember that when there were those who sought to usurp the, um, the uh, kingship, I believe, if we look at the first of Samuel, chapter 15, 1. 1st of Samuel, chapter 15. Um, no, this, I'm sorry, this is the 1st of Samuel 8, verse 11. I'm on the wrong track there. Some people think that's be, becoming usual with me. 1 Samuel 8, 11. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself for his chariots, to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. You see, we don't quite associate that, but that was the sort of insignia that a king was coming. So will you turn with me now, because our time is limited, to Isaiah chapter 40. You remember that the whole of the prophet Isaiah divides into three sections. Chapters 1 to 39 is prophecy, then chapter now, chapter 1 to 34 5 is prophecy, then 36, 37, 38 is the reign of Hezekiah, which comes in the middle. And then it starts the prophecy over again in chapter 40. And it starts now with the words, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, said your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Now, you remember that when, if you turn to the first chapter of John, or when the leaders of the people began to get as alarmed as to what was happening in connection with this movement, they sent representatives to John. The Gospel according to John gives us, before ever it speaks of the, the, the ministry of Christ, it gives you this testimony of John in the first chapter. Shall we just see how he responded? And verse 19, this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem and asked him, who art thou? It always makes me stop and think, I wonder what we should do if we suddenly had a deputation from the highest leaders and rulers of this land, and they all came trooping down to the chapel of the open book and they said to me, uh, who art thou? What a temptation, isn't it? For the best of us to take the opportunity to uh, get a little publicity. Who art thou? And he said, he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, no one would have said that, unless it was already simmering in the air. Who is this one? What is this we heard that some years ago, a child was born at Bethlehem and certain strange things happened? No, he says, I am not the Christ. And I asked him, what then? Art thou Elijah? Our version, Elias, of course, is only the Greek pronunciation. Art thou Elijah? He said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? Now, that is expressing the rabbinical and Jewish ideas. They had uh, uh, two messiahs, not one that they were expecting, and all sorts of strange things, and they put this to him. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Well, they said unto him, who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that said us, what sayest thou of thyself? Here's the chance for John the Baptist to enlarge, isn't it? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am a voice. The word thee goes out. In this chapter, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word, says John, I'm a voice. In this chapter, he says, that was not the true light, not John the Baptist. In him was light. That presently in the in the chapter five, our Saviour says of John the Baptist, he was a bright and shining light. No, no, he was a bright and shining lamp. Who would have witnessed to us of what true testimony is? If Christ is the Word, let me be a voice. If Christ is the light, let me be a lamp. Isn't a wonderful thought that we can take that for all the things that belong to Christ? reduced down to our little level and our reflection of them. Well, there we have the introduction of this man. So, <clears throat> the question of, of Elijah will come up before us. We you look at Malachi, the third chapter. Malachi is the last of the prophets, although it doesn't uh, figure as the last book in the Old Testament, as the Old Testament was arranged. Uh, but here is the last of the prophets. And it says in chapter 3, verse 1, <coughs> Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now the word Malachi, if you know the Hebrew language, or if you don't, you may guess it, Malach is a messenger or an angel. And the I on the end is the possessive case. So that when you see that the people of Israel in Palestine want you to refer to them not as Israel, but Israeli, with an I on the end, 
They are then saying, we are the nation of, of Israel. That's the meaning of it, you see. So Malachi is my messenger. Behold, I will send Malachi, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord of seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Then if you look at the next chapter, chapter 4, It says, verse 5, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So now we've got to disentangle some of these features because we're going to look at the New Testament. We can't do it today because this is only opening the subject. They send a deputation to Christ and they speak about John the Baptist <coughs> and he says, oh, he was Elijah. But there's an ifing connected with it. John the Baptist says he was not Elijah. And when we look at this um, Malachi 3 again, you will see it has reference not to the first coming of Christ, but to the second. So I'll read this again. Malachi 3, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord who ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant, whom he delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall appear, stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like full of soap. And he shall sit and re- as a refiner and purifier silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, and so on and so on. So you see, there is mixed together the first and second coming of Christ, and there is mixed together the real Elijah who is yet to come, and the type of Elijah who came in the person of John the Baptist. And I think it will be worth another meeting together, just to get that sorted out, because you meet with some of God's people, not able to look at these things without flustering, and they think always another contradiction in the Bible, and they get disheartened. But there are no contradictions in the Bible, there's nearly always in the context enough to guide you as to what is in view. <coughs> now, with regard to the, with the um, coming of Christ, Elijah is very much connected, let me remind you, again, uh, if our Saviour took two, three of his disciples to a mountain and there he was transfigured before them. And there appeared two others, on the one side Moses, and the other side Elijah. Elijah again, you see. So it looks as though, just as Moses is the representative of the law, although he was a prophet, so Elijah is the representative of the prophets, and the law and the prophets were bearing their testimony to the kingdom that was yet to be with a glorified, transfigured Christ. And then, (coughs) coming back again to the um, Isaiah 40, I didn't go on with that because I'm watching the clock, but now coming back to Isaiah 40, let's give that just a little bit more consideration, especially in connection with the way in which we distinguish the speakers. I will start again. <coughs> comfort ye, comfort ye my people, set your God. Speak ye to the heart. The word comfortably there is not the word comfort repeated, but it's speak to the heart of Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and Time would take, would take too much time to show <coughs> that this very self-same warfare is the word that speaks of 
the time, not merely a warfare, but a period of time is also accomplished. We can leave that to look after itself though. And then it says in verse 3, the voice of him that cried in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. <coughs> there are quite a number of references that you might be able to turn up for yourself, where it speaks about casting up the highway, taking the stones out of the highway. And um, if you were living in the days of the Old Testament prophets, and even in the days of the New Testament, in the land of Palestine, there were no borough councils. There were no men who spent their time digging holes and sitting around having their, their cup of tea. Oh no. They didn't do anything to the roads. They were an awful state. But when a king or a prince or a governor was about to visit the district, everybody was <coughs> commandeered. They all had to turn out, clear all the stones and rubbish they pitched onto the roadway and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So again you see, here was the insistence that someone of importance was coming. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And you notice how verse 5 ends. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now to you and to me that ought to be the decisive thing. That's the end of the argument. But it wasn't quite. Even the one who heard these, he said, the voice said, cry. Now this is the voice of God telling this man to cry. Say these words. But he said, what shall I cry? As much as to say, what's the good of me saying this? For all flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Now here's a man realising the utter failure of the human instrument. But he's standing in the presence of the living God who has spoken. And God is going to say to him, look here, Isaiah. I know all flesh is grass. But this is not depending upon any summit conference. It's not depending on any leagues of nations or whatever they may think or do. It's depending upon one solitary fact only. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So shall we go on reading? The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Verse 8. True enough, the grass withereth. True enough, the flower faded. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Now surely that's a text we may take to ourselves quite irrespective of the fact that it was to do with the coming of Christ and John the Baptist preparing the way and Elijah yet to come and make straight and everything prepared before him. I commend this to you that this is a very essential feature in our witness, that we stand here and believe with all our hearts, without the slightest reservation, that what God has spoken, he is able and he is willing to perform. Even though it means moving mountains, or even though it means stooping and using earthen vessels, that word spoken will be performed. Well, now you see, it's now in front of us, where we meet together again, with this subject before us, we should have to give a consideration a bit more to the actual place that John the Baptist occupies and the testimony he gave, and then the way will be clear for the rest of the period we have in front of us 
to focus all the attention we have upon the Saviour as the Son of God and the Son of Man and the Son of David and the Son of the Highest and see something of what God intends by sending His Son into the world and by sending His Son back again presently and come at last to that glorious consummation. Then shall the Son Himself be subject unto Him to put all things under Him that God may be all in all. So that's the last text in our series, friends, the finished work. Uh, but uh, whether we're ever going to reach it, or how long it will be before we get there, we cannot prophesy. But, but we do pray that this opening up of the book in this particular way may make the whole book live, not merely some favourite texts or some wonderful gospel promise, but from Genesis to Revelation to see, it is a purpose that God has purposed, the ages are unfolding, and no disappointments or obstructions can interfere with the final consummation of this